This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. Happy 4th of July week for those of you in America. And I do realize we have listeners from around the world. So happy 4th of July week to you too. Speaking of a global audience, see what I did there? Today's episode is a check-in with former ESPN boss John Skipper. He's got his own media company now. It's called Meadowlark. And he's got a new series of documentaries called, I'm going to bring this all the way around, it's called Sports Explains the World. And the catch is, you can't see these documentaries. Not yet, at least. Skipper announced he was making these things last fall, and I'm pretty sure he expected to have a deal with streamer form by this point because streamers love documentaries, or at least they used to. But he doesn't have a deal yet, which means the only people who've seen these films so far are people who went to the Tribeca Film Festival last month. That's when I talked to Skipper and Sridi Kashari, who made the series for him, about how they made these movies, why they made them, and crucially, if the fact that these things don't have a home yet tells us anything about the state of streaming in 2023. I think it does. Of course, we also talked about AI, because it's 2023, and because John Skipper was there, we talked about when and if ESPN is ever going to stream directly to consumers. Because if you talk to John Skipper, you are legally legally and contractually and morally obliged to ask him about that. Uh, one other note, this was recorded live, so we've made a few edits to accommodate that, but it shouldn't impact your listening at all. Okay, now here's me and John Skipper and Smitri Kashari. We got stories from all over the world. We got stories from Ethiopia, we got stories from Houston. We also wanted to experiment with form. So we have stories that are doc, narrative, hybrid. We have an animated story. Um, and it's just such a great way to look at the pressing issues of our time, the pressing stories of our time through the lens of, of sports. So I've seen parts of four of these. You're going to make 16 in total. Are they all done or are they in process? They're all finished and they all premiered this weekend. They're premiering. They premiere at Tribeca. Yeah. They will eventually be available streaming, we assume, somewhere. We don't have a... a Location we, yet, John? We um, made the 16 films. I want to uh, say something that Sreethi probably doesn't want to say. She made all 16 of these films in 10 months. Uh, a remarkable, uh, a remarkable achievement. Um, we began to have a conversation as Sreethi was finishing some of the films and some of the other folks at Metal Ark were finishing about what the best way to showcase them was and uh, it ended up coinciding with Tribeca. Uh, I spent a lot of time at Tribeca um, at ESPN. We were a sponsor, we debuted 30 for 30 here, we did a lot of stuff. So um, I was able to persuade uh, Jane Rosenthal and Fallon is here somewhere. Fallon was instrumental in making this happen. So it's a long way of saying, um, that we're looking for a distributor yep. and we felt that this would be a great place to showcase these, showcase how good they were and find the right distributor. And I'm hopeful that we'll 
be able to announce that very soon. I want to come back to you and talk about business mm -hmm. and distribution, but I want, want to talk to Smith a bit more about the content. I hate saying content. So let's call them films. The films themselves. Are these sports films? Are these films that happen to have sports in them? Is there a distinction? Hmm. That's a great question. There's certainly sports films, um, but I think every good sports story, at the end of the day, there's like a human side to it, right? And so whether it's the story of the one-yard call of Marshawn Lynch and Pete Carroll, the most debated call in you know, sports history, one of the things that was really inspiring about telling that story is that the moment you bring it up, people have an opinion. People want to talk about it. I mean, I was listening to John and Gary talk about it in the room, and I thought, I just want to capture this debate and the emotions that are a part of that debate. It's the same with Houston United. You know, it's our modern-day Friday Night Lights and euphoria. So it's a story of what is the point of view of, like, two soccer kids, originally from Tanzania and Honduras, that come to Houston, and soccer is their way to be able to be a part of that society, be a part of one another, the most diverse. And it's an immigration story as well. You know, we have the same with Captains of Ukraine. It's a story of the Ukrainian national team and what it's really like with young men who are at the forefront of a soccer team being the young men at the front line. And that, I think, is what's so beautiful about sports, is that it provides both an escape, it provides like an insight into a world in a way that goes beyond the headlines. What, what do you think the brand for this is going to be? John mentioned 30 for 30 as an inspiration. All the streamers now have some kind of sports documentary available with a click of a button. What do you want this series to stand for? What do you, what do you think people will take away from it? Hmm. Well, I'll start off that. Um, I want to know John's opinion as well. Um, I think Sports Explains is that brand. And I think it's, an, we were just talking about this, how it's an opportunity of whether you're in Kazakhstan and Mongolia, whether you're in the United States, wherever you are, to be able to, again, sports is a way and insight into you know, human stories, human lives. We have a story about Mighty Penguins. It's a Down Syndrome soccer team. And it's just such a great way. We, we played that at the festival, and it has everyone at tears. It's just such a great way to get in, insight into these wonderful kids and those families. So it's really exciting. The pitches keep coming in. We're excited about season two. And I think it just continues. It's like looking at 2023 and the important stories of our time. But do you feel like people are coming to you with pitches, and some of them are great, and some of them don't fit what, what you're trying to do? And when you tell them, someone that, what are, you, what are you saying? Well, actually, this is the kind of thing we're going for. Your thing sounds like it, but it actually isn't going to be what we want. There are so many things that go into trying to fit trying to have 16 films in 10 months. A lot of it is like the practicality of it. Sometimes it's it? like the budget, the access. I think there's a lot of stories we would have greenlit if it was a matter of time. So I think the character, the access, making sure that the stories, I mean, the filmmakers know, I'm like, what's the three-act structure? What's the conflict? How does it go propel forward? Having good stories uh, that people want to watch that aren't, you know, that, that aren't just like easy content, but actually reveal something, that's something we would ask all the time. What does this reveal? What's new here? John, you got you to you pitch for the brand? Sure. I want to first remark on the fact that when Smriti is trying to think of exotic locations that we made films, she mentions Kazakhstan and Houston. <laughs> I do think of Houston as kind of exotic in an odd way. Well, say um, shot down Indonesia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think our intention here is to try to create a brand under which we can tell very 
revealing, delightful, surprising, sometimes provocative, sometimes revealing. We want to tell, have a brand under which we can go anywhere. There's an attempt here to be global. Uh, and we want to look at sports obliquely is the way I would answer it, right? We indeed are telling a sports story about these, ki uh, these immigrant kids who go to the wisdom school in Houston. Uh, it's an immigrant school. Almost everybody in there is an immigrant. They have uh, people from 60 countries. They speak 45 languages. What's that like? Right? They're playing soccer, but it's not a soccer film. It's a film about, as you point out, how these kids from Tanzania and Honduras and Argentina and, and Kazakhstan and Houston uh, uh, adapt. How do they get together? How do you make a team out of kids? They speak 12 different languages on this team. How do they figure that out? How do they figure out how to get around? They can't go to some of the activities that they, the other soccer teams can go to because they're all undocumented. They're afraid they're going to be picked up by an ICE agent. So do we have the intention here of trying to tell uh, progressive stories? We do. Do we want to tell stories of people being empowered through sports and how that can change your life if you are living in a Yucatan village a uh, Mayan village in Yucatan and you have type 2 diabetes, maybe you can change your life by playing on a softball team, even though uh, your husbands and uncles and brothers don't want you to play because you're a girl, a young woman, a woman, and you shouldn't be playing. That's uh, not what you're supposed to do. Uh, so uh, those are the lens through which we want to find stories, and we want to roam around the world, right? It's, it's um, as you pointed out, Peter, there's a lot of, it's, it's a golden age of documentaries. So we want to find our own niche here is one thing. We want to find, we're in the Untold Stories Lounge, so we are looking for some genuinely untold stories uh, in untold places that people might not be familiar with. It's also a travel log, right? You get to go to fun and interesting places, and, and we want to be able to establish that place as a place that Metal Arc uh, specializes in. Are we still in that golden age? John, we've talked for a while. At one point you were a buyer of these docs. Maritha, you've been making them for a long time. There was a huge explosion in streaming that we all know about in this room. And in the last year or so, people are pumping the brakes. Maybe they're retracting. Maybe they're spending less. Maybe there's consolidation among potential buyers. Talk about the app. And this, this goes to the distribution question. You guys do not have a place for us to see these movies yet outside of Tribeca. Is it harder now to get these things made and financed and then eventually distributed than it was a year ago? No, I think it is a golden age of documentaries. And the quality of things you can see is spectacular over a vast range of subjects, different kinds of forms, whether it be you know, embedded, whether it be you know, multi-part, single episodes, short films, podcasts. Um, they're hard to discover. I think your real issue is if you looked at all the films that were available, there's never been a time when more films were available. You just discovering them is really hard. So we're creating a brand name under which you can discover something. Uh, 30 for 30 is the single most successful doc series ever. It built upon what HBO Sports had done, so I want to give them credit. We weren't starting from whole cloth, but the 30 for 30 brand allowed us to tell films uh, about anything. We made one film called The Best That Never Was uh, about a, guy, a person you'd never heard of. It's hard to make a film and market it about somebody you never heard of, but if it says 30 for 30, you'll watch it. That's our intention here with Sports Explains the World. Oh, I didn't know I wanted to watch a film about a Down Syndrome kid from, 
from uh, Brentford in England. I didn't know I wanted to watch a film about what's happening with the soccer team in the Ukraine. But, oh, it's a Sports Explains the World. So uh, I know kind of what that stands for. I know the quality, so I'll watch that. I have to do one thing. The name Soccer Explains the World. Okay. I have to give credit to uh, not quite a friend, but an acquaintance, Franklin Four, wrote a book called How Soccer Explains the World. And uh, I took the how off, changed soccer to sports, and that's our brand. That's why you're the co-founder. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't seen the full slate. I did not see in anything I saw or anything you guys discussed any version of The Last Dance, where the great athlete tells his or her story with their cooperation, with archival footage over history, and it's sort of a collaboration between the athlete and the filmmaker, um, which is now kind of the conventional template for these things. So are you guys intentionally saying, look, we either can't or don't want to make the kind of uh, production, or does it just happen to be you want to make something that isn't that? Mm -hmm. We want to make both. Yeah. Right? We're doing a Martina and Vratilova film. Uh, that's a little more traditional. Uh, she's uh, cooperating with us, and we're doing it. We're doing a Diana Taurasi film. We made a big film on the USA-Mexico soccer team. So, yeah, we want to do those. But I don't necessarily want to be inhibited uh, to those kind of films. And I don't want to have to figure out how to market every film every time we make a film and figure out how to get people to watch a film about something. Uh, and that's why we're... You want to be able to tell a story about someone who's not famous that is compelling and without having to explain, this is someone you've never heard of, but... Yeah, I often think of like multi-part series and documentaries, feature length. It's like one is like getting married and the other one's like going on a date, you know? And it's great. It's like when you're getting, you're in it, you're in that person's mindset, you're in that process, you're trying to, you know, have that, that truth there. And then what was really exciting, and I think Wait, this which is one is the married one? <laughs> the longer one? Okay. <laughs> um, and then when you're doing a short, and this is why every single director was really excited. I think this is why we kept getting so many pitches, was because, I mean, we've got directors like Farah here. She turned that film around in a matter of like eight weeks. So that's, you know, that's quite such a yeah. fast turnaround. So to be able to, right? So to be able to go in um, and tell it in a, in a short length within 20, 30 minutes, sometimes some stories, that's what they need to get that insight. But it is, the answer to your question is yes. Farah X here, Doc, I did a film on uh, young women in Ethiopia. No, that no. That was Angela. Angela, Angela, behind you did Young Women, and you did the film on Kobe's murals, Mamba's murals. So that's an oblique way to get into Kobe, mm -hmm. but it, so we're not staying away from major athletes. I sh now I'm going to mention Angela's film. Uh, to your point, Peter, I mean, n nobody right now is looking for a film about young women skateboarding in Ethiopia and uh, how that is helping. Oh, you are? Good news. Uh, we made one. Uh, Go back in that room and we'll give you a pitch meeting right uh, here in a minute. Uh, but right, people don't know they want that, but it's, it's lovely. It's a beautiful film about a group of young women who are finding some sense of identity and purpose in a country uh, that's at Civil War. And by the way, Angela was kicked out of the country because of the Civil War. 
By the way, we're going to open this up to you guys. I think most of you seem to have worked with John and Smitri, but anyone can ask a question in a few minutes, but I've got a few more questions for him first. Um, what is it like to make a movie or a series of movies in, or a series of films, docs, in 2023? What's easier to do in 2023, something you couldn't have done a couple years ago, five years ago? What is harder about the process now? So... I'm a filmmaker, that's my background as well. And I think one of the things about, that was really important and had this conversation with every single director was, what is the fire inside of you of the story that you wanna tell? So what is the access that you bring in? What is the story? What is the type of story that you wanna tell? And I think that um, in the current landscape, uh, it, it's, it's hard to kind of find that. And that was something that was really exciting for us with wanting to build this story. Because so much, there's so much stuff out there already that it's hard to find novel stuff or to find people who can fit sort of the brief. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, but one of the things that was really exciting is that you, it's also an opportunity for filmmakers around the world. So it wasn't just, you know, US centric and US focused. It was, we went to filmmakers from all over. Um, I mean, we have a film of Palestinian refugees in a Jordan, you know, camp with heavy metal um, people weightlifting. So I think this was an opportunity with Sports Explains as a whole of like, how do we turn the lens all around? How do we look at the global issues of our time? How do we look at the global stories? How do we look at sports as a way of escape, sports as a way of like belonging? Um, it's the thing that whenever I would talk to anyone about what I was doing, they were like, this is the type of stuff I want to watch. Because for some people, you know, we're so bombarded with news, we're so bombarded with like current events. This is a different way in through a universal language of sports that you don't often get to see. I was guessing you were going to say, well, you can do it much faster. You can make these things in eight weeks. It's much cheaper now. The tech is more available and lightweight, et cetera. And I don't know what the downside would be. Um, I'm just thinking, because I'm kind of dull, what, what sort of practical, logistical issues make it easier or more difficult to make these things? Yeah, I think, again, going to the access of the filmmakers. I mean, one of the films was made by my husband, who's a director. He's right there. He was a journalist, or is a journalist, with the BBC uh, for 10 years and NBC. But he has been reporting across the world in, in different you know, war zones and different political climates. So being able to go and knowing that there's an entire Ukrainian team and Alexei's here, who is the, the producer on the ground, you know, Alexei has the access to the Ukrainian national team. So, but being able to do that in such a fast turnaround when everyone's just reporting about the front line, yep. but here are the actual lives of people and here's the impact of them. Do you think you've been making movies for a long time? Do you think people are more or less receptive to having someone with cameras and microphones show up and one, film them, but also tell their story? Or are they more suspicious? Or they say, well, actually, I know a bit about this. I've seen Twitter. I, I, I want to say in how my story is told. Yeah. There's um, two things. I think everybody wants to be a star, but then everyone wants to uh, work with people that they believe in and that they trust. And trust is a big aspect of it. So that's why, you know, the fact that these three young Ethiopian skateboarders let Angela fully into their lives, that's because of trust. So that's something that's, you know, really distinct that when you assign a story and you just sort of parachute in, it's a very different thing. You're only getting on the surface, but you've got people like in it and in everyone's lives and being able to capture that. 
I see John wanted to jump in. No, I, I'm only laughing because you are correct that one of the things that is easier is the equipment is much smaller now, and you can send people in individually, right? And they can do their own sound, they got the film, they can do the interview. I'm only laughing because I'm holding this big old, big old ass mic, uh, <laughs> which Vita's telling me I gotta be careful and hold right here in this specific place. So I'm just laughing about the beauties of smaller, less obtrusive technology as I hold an old fashioned karaoke mic. <laughs> I'm going to urge you guys to get some mics, like you just like. Yeah, but you know what? Then someone, then you got so to pay someone to clip the, the mic on. This is this yeah. is this is cheaper and more efficient. We hold our own mics. So I do a business <laughs> question for you. We, we were touching on it before. You guys announced this series in October, I think, last year, right. last fall. I'm assuming you assume that by now you would have a place to show these other than the Tribeca Film Festival. Not that it's not a fine place to show them, but you'd be able to say, and you can stream it on, name your streamer. Um, has it take, did you, are you surprised that it took this long? That it has taken this long? No, it's uh, not particularly surprising. I mean, this is a extremely novel concept, uh, and it depends ultimately on the quality of the films. Nobody is looking for, oh, please come by and bring me 16 short films. Uh, from uh, Ethiopia and, and Houston and Kazakhstan and wherever else we are. Uh, so yeah, I thought we'd have a better chance to sell them after we, uh, people could see how good they were. And, and obviously you're front of the money to make these things, right? This is not built if sold, which a lot of folks prefer. Oh, now Netflix will make this thing if we, Netflix will pay us if we make this thing. Right, you're not going that route with these films. No, we've now made these. It's still a reasonable way to go, right? Questlove did okay, uh, taking Summer of Soul to Sundance. Mm -hmm. We brought Sports Explains the World to Tribeca. Uh, I don't think we'll get the same amount of money for it that he did for uh, Summer of Soul, but I think we'll find one of the large distributors will find this to be very attractive. It's unusual, so it, uh, um, it, it takes a little getting used to well i mentioned this before. you used to be on the on the other side of the table you used to be the guy saying yeah i'll buy that no i'm not going to buy that well, well I, it was even better peter i was the seller and the buyer mm -hmm. and the marketer and the distributor <laughs> and, and uh but you could make I, it all happen you could hit a button say yes yeah. it went now you're pitching now you're yeah. hoping that someone says i like yeah. your idea i like these yeah. movies let's do it well how has that adjustment been for you uh it's humbling which is a good thing right never hurts to be humbled a little bit even at an advanced age, uh, but it also makes you pay attention mm -hmm. to what other people want, right? So there is a learning that comes from it. There is a, it's fun. I did this because I thought it would be fun and thought it would be interesting. Ultimately, I did it because these are the kind of things at Metal Arc we want to be known for. We want to tell stories, and we want to tell stories that are fascinating that you didn't think you were interested in. I cannot ever remember the quite the Steve Jobs quote which, uh, but you know what I'm talking about, which is what Steve Jobs said, people don't know the thing that they don't know about that they don't want, right? That's not what he said. He's much more articulate I think than it's that. people don't know what they want until you give it to them. Yes. Yeah. And, he's, and he said some more negative things I don't want to say because I don't want to piss anybody off. I just want to be happy and uh, make great stuff and find a home for it and get to work with, with uh, very talented people like my friend Smriti here. We'll be right back with John Skipper and Speedrika Kashari, but first, a word from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. 
because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We've got stories from Ukraine, Kazakhstan, uh, exotic, we from Kazakhstan. exotic we Houston. We bringing that up only because it sounds exotic. It sounds exotic. And I have actually been there one time, but yeah. we didn't actually make a film. But was there any thought like, oh, if we tell stories from around the world, that makes this a product we can sell around the world? Or do you expect that this is first and foremost for a Western U.S. audience? Um, I think it is almost overwhelmingly likely to be... Uh, tailor-made for one of the large American streaming companies uh, and uh, but it doesn't hurt because they're all international that it's an easy process that if they're trying to grow their audience in Japan or Indonesia or uh, anywhere else we can make a film about it mm -hmm. so it does have that advantage this is I think really exciting because we've got stories that are you know US focused we've got stories around the world and there's a way the discoverability that people see how they're all connected one from each other what's your favorite uh, doc that you have not made what's the thing that got you excited about making docs John you got one on the tip of your tongue I do the first uh, documentary that I ever bought for ESPN was called Senna made by a guy named Asif Kapadia who also made Amy and um, some other great docs, and I was enchanted by it, right? It's a driver, Brazilian driver I'd never heard of. I didn't particularly care about open wheel racing at the time, so I'm way ahead of Drive to Survive. Uh, and the story of Senna is a great story, right? It was, to me, it was an untold story. I loved it, we bought it, first one, and we were off and running, but I, I remember that specifically. Yeah, mine would be, and it's such a, um, it's such a fun one, it's two Escobars. And um, we got a chance Which to was a 30 under 30. Yeah, it was yeah. one of the first 30 for 30s. Um, we worked with Michael Zimbalist, one of the directors of the Zimbalist Brothers, on Mayan Softball Revolution, one of our films. And I just thought it was so powerful of the power of like this, the Colombian soccer team and the Colombian drug lord and how intertwined it is in, in everyone's life there. It was one of the first films that I saw and I thought, you know, this is what I want to do and more of this. And so when we had the opportunity to call Michael and ask him, it was such a pleasure to have him do one of our first films for Sports Explains. We have questions from the audience because I have more. Uh, Smithy, it's 2023. I'm in a panel. I have to ask you about AI, how it's going to, how it may be affecting your work, how you think it's going to affect your work. And you just, you think this is a real person here. It's a real person. She's very lifelike. So there's a spectrum, right? There's, these are tools that are going to allow us to do cool things. They can amplify what we do. We can do things with budgets we couldn't have achieved before. And then there's, this is going to replace our job. This is going to sap creativity. Where are you on that spectrum? I mean, it writes really good log lines and synopsis. Um, I think with um, the current conversations that's happening with the writer strike and the points that are being brought forth, uh, I think there's a big, um, there's a value in looking at authorship 
and how do the people who are the originators can also benefit from that? I mean, I think of AI in so many ways as a, as a tool, and there is um, people so quickly become either techno-optimist or techno-pessimist, and it so quickly becomes like a man versus machine narrative, but in reality, it is a symbiotic relationship. Are, are you using AI in your production process now? Um, I am person. Well, we used it for some of. I mean, we used it for some of the artwork when we mm -hmm. had low res um, images, screen grabs, and we wanted to make high res of it. There was a great software that you could use. So it is like a tool. It's like a premiere, and but in in certain ways, especially with writing, um, that's where authorship is really. You're seeing it across the board being used. Um, so the data that it's being fed is important to look at because then it gives you, you know, patterns of the future or patterns that aren't there. I mean, you mentioned you've used it and it says certain things about you and your bio, but other things that aren't even yeah. true. So they call it hallucination, which is a hilarious term yeah. for just making shit up. Exactly. Um, do, you, do you imagine that you'll have guidelines for your next round of films to your filmmakers saying, we encourage the use of this stuff, we discourage it. If you're gonna use it, we'd like you to use it the following way. Ooh, I love that idea. So yeah. maybe. Yeah, that's a really good thing to consider. Absolutely, yeah. Someone had a question. Sorry for interrupting the Please. Topic, yeah, coming from Kazakhstan, I was gonna ask you about what the Kazakhstan connection is. <laughs> I guess that can still be pitched, but. Uh, I was gonna ask about working in countries which are conflicted or where the government is corrupt. When you're making the documentaries, how much intervention have you faced in the stuff you've made so far? And how have you managed those, I guess, arguments or issues with the local governments? Yeah. Um. The, the greatest difficulty we had was in Ethiopia, I believe, correct? Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a difficulty in being in the Ukraine, but I don't think the problems were with the government there. I think it's just the atmosphere and the environment. Uh, I suspect there'll be other places we go where uh, it will not necessarily be friendly, right? I mean, I'm used to that. By the way, Kazakhstan, very friendly. Uh, I was in Nur al-Sultan, Sultan, uh, which the former president named after himself. Correct? Yeah. yeah. And, but it was a lovely experience. It was snowing when I was there. Yeah, I mean, Angela was one of the filmmakers who they, I think it was the Times was sent out, the Guardians, everyone had to leave and they were the last ones that were allowed in. And they had people kind of stopping them, checking them. They only had three days to, to film. So it's definitely, I mean, in conflict zones, it is hard, there's so much red tape. And I think that's why having filmmakers who again and again and again have been able to tell those stories, have those relationships. And it's kind of from the inside out rather than coming in from the outside in and assigning stories as you would maybe in a, in a traditional news desk. Was there anything that you could not make because you couldn't get either access into the country, the location you wanted to be, or the subject wouldn't cooperate and that prevented you from doing it? I mean, the, the animation story you talked about, that's Kurt Schilling's story. He's obviously not participating in a story about his failed video game business. But were there other stuff where you thought, this is only going to work if we can talk to so-and-so or go to some place, and then that couldn't happen? Yeah. I really wanted to go on a two-week surf trip to Indonesia. And then the budget wouldn't allow it. <laughs> um, was that going to be a, a movie or just your vacation? Okay. <laughs> we we no, did have a surf movie. movie. We, we had, had a surf, surf movie, movie in Indonesia at yeah. one point. We had things um, that felt, sort of didn't turn out to be what we thought they were going to be. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if we had access issues. We didn't have access issues. I mean, it just came down more to timing and the turnaround, but not, not access, no. I mean, it's mainly because the filmmakers we went to always brought us the access. But Kurt Schilling's Imperfect Game, that's a really good example. I mean, this is about his failed video game um, empire, 38 Studios, and because the world itself was animated, it was so colorful, and the, the people who built that world or that were building it with him were so passionate about it, it was just such a no-brainer that with our podcast you know, team, we're also doing 45 podcasts for Sports Explains the World. Um, we thought, why not make an animated film? And animation is just such a brilliant art form that's being used. Um, and so we got in touch with, the, with an animation studio and a late night writer because it was really comedic. It's about the hubris yeah. of this great, <laughs> great character. Um, and it think, just made sense. Do you think people are going to burn out on The Last Dance? You're doing a bunch of these, you said, John. The Martina Navratilova story. LeBron James has a camera crew following him around. He clearly wants to do one of these things. Do you think the audience is going to tire of that? Or do you think that's going to become the standard they expect from a doc? Well, I think the standard people expect from a doc is The Last Dance. They're going to be disappointed because that was a very singular set of circumstances. And it is, of course, just the way the business works, right? I'll, I find myself lapsing into, oh, well, that's succession in the garbage hauling world, so we're going to do that. So people always try to replicate success. You can't replicate The Last Dance. The Last Dance was the most profound and charismatic athlete post-Muhammad Ali. The NBA had been prescient enough in 1998 to send a film crew around with him, so you had a treasure trove of unused archival film. He agreed to sit for three, count them, three extensive interviews, which I think is more than he did in his entire career. And uh, the film debuted when there was no competition. You might as well have been launching, you were launching Shake Shack with no Burger King or McDonald's, right? <laughs> there, there was no competition. So you're not gonna get to do that again. And again, the entertainment business is just doing what it always does. That worked. I'm going to make me sure, one of them. Sure, but I, I can't flaw them for doing it. Do you think the audience will now expect that unless we have the person being interviewed in the room, narrating this footage, then they, because that is the way many stories are told When it's now. good, the audience will, will love it and it'll do well. And when it's a bad attempt because the person's not cooperating or not willing to reveal something, or the person's story is just not interesting, uh, will. We are making the bet that ultimately stories will matter the most. Right, and there was a good story in Last Dance. Yep. Yeah. Um, Question so, here. No, no. I'll, I'll, everybody here know, who knows me knows I'll keep going forever. <laughs> so you might as well let somebody else talk. Okay. And it might as well be you. Um, I just had a, a question on the back of that, I guess, from a business perspective of what you're doing in terms of, um, I guess, the umbrella approach. So like these smaller, more niche, unknown stories we, when we know them, know they're excellent stories that if people watch them, they'll care about. Um, I'm obviously Australian, so I'm from Australia, and so often we'll have a great story and Netflix or whatever will say, well, no one knows Australian football outside of Australia. End of discussion. So is your you know, perspective with the business model, if we create a sort of umbrella and, and, and a place for all of these, there might be more power in getting these stories picked up and told? I have two answers to that. First is yes, <laughs> you're exactly right. And the second is 
I hope you get uh, appointed very soon as the head of buying documentaries at some very major company <laughs> because you get exactly what we're trying to do, yeah, okay. right, is, is to go in and say, by the way, Netflix has done it a bit with uh, Untold, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you went in and said, I've got, but we, we did this story at ESPN, but if you went in and said, I've got a story about a Notre Dame football player who got catfished named Monteo, they would go, mm, I've never really heard of that guy. But if it's under a series, uh, it can be under a series and people can discover it. So it's not anybody's fault, it's just hard to discover. You put, so uh, a good filmmaker just made a film called The Matildas. Uh, right about the Australian women's uh, football team. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, it's the only two countries where it's not called football, so you probably call it soccer. Soccer, correct. Uh, um, the only two countries in the world. Uh, but you could say if that was under the umbrella of mm. 30 for 30, Sports Explains the World, Untold Stories, it would get a bigger audience. It's hard to market. Yeah, right? it's a it's safety just, and numbers approach sort of yeah. thing. Cool. Uh, one last question, then I've got a couple here. One here. Okay, sorry, it's a, it's a bit of a two-part, but um, considering the intention... You'll be a White House correspondent. <laughs> uh, considering the, in question. the intention of the series, how were you changed by making this series? How did your perspectives of the world change? And then secondarily, is there an intention um, that whoever picks up this series or through your company that you'll drive any sort of impact campaigns around these... Um, individual shorts to follow up on the issues or the individuals in the pictures? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, in terms of the, the changes, there's just such a demand for it um, from, a, from a story viewing point of view and then as well as storytellers. People, everyone has a sports story that they want to tell directors to. Um, so it was, I expected a lot of stories, but the amount that we got, I mean, every week we were going through 50 pitches and giving each story the dedicated time that it needed. So I'm really excited for the eventual home of this to be someone who shares that passion that we have about these stories and a commitment to season two, to season three, to season four. Because to that point, it's like the discoverability, that's what it allows for us to go all around the world. Um, and then in terms of impact, that's what's so great about film is that so many people can see them at a given time. It's the same of like when you do the festival route, when you do awards, when you get so much press. You know, there are certain films that we think are really good, you know, front end runners for press awards, for academy campaigns, and that allows for people to be exposed to individual human stories that maybe they wouldn't. So Mighty Penguins is one that we talk about that. You know, um, I think there's such a, amazing opportunity, like power of when characters like Luis and Iran and Houston United see themselves on the big screen and they are the representation of a modern day Friday night, night lights, you know. So there's so much that can be done and that's what excites me about, you know, using film as a medium as opposed to any other. Okay, I'm gonna make a hard pivot here because I got John on stage so I have to ask him this question. Um, every time I talk to John on a stage, I say, sometimes he's running ESPN, sometimes he's not. I say, when do you think ESPN is going to go do an a la carte streaming thing? When you were running ESPN, you'd say, we're not considering that anytime soon right now. And most recently, your old employer said, we're thinking about it. Cable TV distribution is down to 60% in the U.S., the lowest it's been since 1992. 
when do you think your former employers say, okay, you can now buy ESPN a la carte without the rest of the bundle? Um, I think um, somewhere uh, between three and five years, right? They're, they're preparing it now, right? Everybody is sort of shocked when they announce that, oh, someday we're going to uh, sell Which is, this to be fair, what you were saying 10 years ago, yeah. too. Look, we've the someday is just getting closer. So the, the cable television universe began to decline in 2012, which was the first year I became president, though I don't think they're correlated. Um, and uh, so we've known that this is going to happen. Streaming technology is a more efficient way to deliver content. And uh, that doesn't mean it's a better experience, by the way, for sports fans, but it is going to happen. And right now, the reason to say we're going eventually to go to a streaming service is to prepare the distributors and the leagues for the fact that in the next round of negotiation with the distributors, we're gonna to need to get more flexibility. And it's to say the, to uh, the leagues that, gee, you're gonna to have to allow us to have more freedom about where we put this content when we pay you all this money. So they're getting ready for it. But they, there's no reason, because those 60 million homes will still pay you more money than the homes that don't have pay television. There, I don't believe, is any particular way to replicate those economics. You and yep. I have talked about this for many years. It's inevitable it's going to happen. It's, it, uh, I, I'm wrong about 83% of things. One of the things I was right about that said in the 70% I'm right about is all those sports fans complaining about the, the bundle and having to pay for the pay TV bundle are going to be unhappy when you get what you want and you only have to pay for what you want to watch because that's more expensive. What do you think that'll cost for a, for a ESPN over-the-top standalone? Uh, I don't know. They have to do the math of what is the sweet spot where we generate the most revenue. The more expensive it is, the less subscribers you have. Yep. And uh, so I think it's hard to break $20 in any time near in the future, right? Aren't almost all the streaming services under 20? That, that's a point I just remember from old direct marketing days where people can take a $20 bill out and they feel okay. They don't feel good about $50. So I, I would guess 1995 at some point is gonna cost you. But of course the problem is you're gonna have to pay for Peacock and, and Netflix yep. and Amazon and Apple. Uh, if you want to watch right now European football, you need to have basically every streaming service. And it was cheaper when ESPN had all that. So I was here to tell you you should have quit complaining and just subscribe to pay TV and said how great ESPN was. I'd still be there. You'd still be watching all that shit for free. <laughs> Let me bring it back. Last question to your product. When will I be able to watch Sports Explains the World at home on a streaming service? I believe in the fall. The, we, we do have, Smriti uh, mentioned the 45. We have 45 um, podcast episodes under the same brand. We have a distributor for that. We've not announced it, and I'm not going to announce it here. Uh, and my goal is to get somebody to distribute the video in the same time frame in the fall. Awesome. We're going to leave it there. John, Smriti, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Peter. Thank you guys. Thanks again to John Skipper, to Smitri Kishari for talking with me, to the Tribeca Film Festival for hosting that conversation. Thanks again to Jelani and Jolie 
who produced and edited this show for us this week. This is Recode Media. We'll see you soon. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.